Hello, I'm Mark South and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we'll examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we'll be exploring just some of the many UFO and alien encounters that featured the witness becoming paralysed. And that is not with fear, terror or shock, but quite literally paralysed and physically unable to move. And there are many more of these encounters on record than we might think. Indeed, the details of these UFO paralysis cases are so strikingly similar that we have to put a certain amount of credence in the notion that this technology, if that is what causes this paralysis, is very much a real part of the UFO and alien question. In our book from deep within the archives of UFO Insight, we examined the UFO encounter of Denise Bishop, arguably one of the most detailed cases of UFO paralysis, and one where we'll begin our examination into this truly bizarre detail of these seemingly otherworldly encounters. Largely due to the fact that the police simply didn't know what to make of the initial report from local Plymouth DJ John Greenwood concerning his girlfriend's sister's strange encounter, did the case of Denise Bishop land straight in the hands of the Devon UFO Research Group chairman Robert Boyd. Boyd, one of the UK's leading UFO investigators at the time, would in turn rescue the incident from falling into obscurity. What's more, many of the details in the Bishop case mirror those in other UFO encounters from around the world. Given Bishop's apparent complete lack of interest in and knowledge of UFOs, and the fact that the incident was long before the age of the internet, it is a case that is perhaps more credible than not. The incident is one of many investigated and detailed in the widely acclaimed book by Timothy Good, Beyond Top Secret, and is equally one of the many that reports the use of green beams that paralyse those caught in them. It is perhaps worth reminding ourselves once again that a great many of these sightings occurred in the pre-internet days, making it a lot harder to come by information in general, even if you had an interest in a certain field, than it is now. Okay, it was just after 11pm on the evening of September 10th, 1981, as she got out of the taxi that had brought her home, when 23-year-old Denise Bishop approached the back door of her mother's house. She noticed a bright light from the corner of her eye, announcing something very strange was occurring behind the property. As she focused her attention in the direction of the light, a huge dull metallic object, in the shape of a crab as she would later recall, filled her vision. She could recall no sound at all from the airborne craft, as it hovered silently over the houses below it. From beneath the magnificent object were several columns of pale purple, pink and white lights. Suddenly coming to her senses, Denise would fumble with her keys in an attempt to open the door. As she put her hand on the handle and the key into the keyhole, however, a lime green pencil beam of light shot out from the craft and hit her hand. As soon as it touched her, she lost the ability to move. She was essentially frozen. She would estimate later that this paralysis lasted probably no longer than 30 seconds and as soon as the beam was switched off, she instantly regained mobility over her limbs, and in one fluid motion, continued to open the back door. She would later describe the experience as if the whole incident was a film that had been paused and then continued. As she fumbled with the door and entered the house, the craft would rise into the night sky and disappear. Hearing her enter the property, Denise's sister came to see what the matter was, and Denise informed her of her experience. It was while she was doing so that she noticed spots of blood on her hand, and closer examination revealed an intense burn where the beam had struck her. By the time the aforementioned Greenwood arrived home from his radio show, it was approaching 3am. 
Seeing the burn on Denise's hand, he would make the report of the encounter to the local police. And it was then he was put in touch with Boyd, who immediately set off in order to speak to the witness. Although she would not agree to seek medical treatment for her hand, she did speak to Boyd in detail of the encounter. Of the burn on her hand, he would note how it appeared as if a patch of skin had been removed, exposing the new shiny skin beneath. Because of the intense pain of her hand, they made attempts to run it under the cold water, and this, however, only seemed to make the pain even more intense. Antiseptic cream served to dampen it somewhat, but it would be several days before there was any significant improvement. Boyd returned to speak with Denise the following morning. With him was a nurse, who inspected the wound on her hand. It had now turned significantly worse, and while she would allow the nurse to treat it and dress it, she again refused medical treatments. Some reports suggest that this was because of an upcoming trip to Canada, which she feared a doctor would not allow her to go on. Photographs of the wound and the nurse's notes would go on to an anonymous consultant at a leading London hospital. It was their conclusion that the wound appeared to be the result of an intense laser burn. The wound would eventually heal and scab over, but a scar remained in its place. Denise would also report to Boyd how it would sometimes feel hot and prickly in the cold weather. For her part, Denise wished the incident was forgotten. She would turn down multiple offers for television interviews, although she did grant one newspaper interview in October 1981 to a local journalist, Roger Malone, of the Plymouth Evening Herald. There are many other cases of paralysis in UFO encounters, and more importantly to our interest here, reports of green beams of light that deliver it. Interestingly, although all those caught in these beams can't move nor speak, all reports still being able to breathe. This suggests the use of technology that renders the muscles of the limbs useless while keeping intact and able the cardiovascular system. Perhaps some of the most intriguing of these occurred over 25 years earlier in 1954, during a particularly heavy wave of UFO sightings over France. One September evening in a small French village, Marius de Wilde noticed his dog howling and becoming increasingly agitated by something happening outside his property. Opening the door, on the rail tracks opposite his house, he could see a huge dark mass on the ground. Of more importance to de Wilde, however, was the two strange creatures in one-piece suits, like the kind divers wear, only yards away. Each also had a strange helmet on their oversized heads. Before he could move, a strange bright light would blind him, while also rendering him completely motionless. Try as he might, total paralysis had taken over his body. He could not even force his vocal cords to yell, despite an overwhelming desire to do so. The creatures moved away after several moments, and into the dark black craft, which instantly began to move upwards. As it did so, the light suddenly went out, and with it, Dwyer had the use of his limbs once again. He ran towards the rising object, reaching where it had stood only seconds earlier, just in time to see it vanish from his sight. While the Wilde's encounter is one of the better known, there are several other intriguing cases of UFO paralysis in France during this time. Several weeks later, for example, in late September, a glowing object descended out of the night sky and landed on the land of a vineyard. The owner witnessed the landing, as well as three humanoid figures that emerged from the object several moments later. When one of these figures noticed his presence, the witness suddenly found himself completely unable to move. 
He must have blacked out a moment later, as his next memories of waking up in his field and the strange object was no longer there. Around the same time in the town of Bergerac, a local resident noticed a strange disc-like object land near his home as he was closing his gate. When he went to investigate, a green laser-type beam suddenly fired from it and struck him. He was immediately paralysed and unable to move. This paralysis remained until the green light retracted and the object disappeared into the night sky. Several days later, two men were driving along a quiet road when they suddenly experienced a particularly uncomfortable sensation, as though some kind of electrical charge was running through their bodies. A moment later, all of the electrics in the vehicle suddenly cut out, and the car came to a sudden stop. It was at this stage when each man realised that they were completely paralysed and unable to move. They could, however, move their eyes, and right in front of them, approximately 150 feet away, was some kind of metallic craft. From this mysterious object, a beam of light was being projected in their direction, landed directly on their car. Even more bizarre, they could each see three strange humanoid figures walking around near the base of the object. After several moments of surveying their surroundings, the three figures went back inside the craft, which then began to rise into the air before vanishing in less than a second. As soon as it disappeared, both men were able to move once more, and the vehicle suddenly burst into life. While the UFO paralysis cases in France in 1954 were unique in the sense that they all occurred in the same relative location and in such a short space of time, many more such encounters can be found around the world and across the decades. In the days before Christmas 1968, for example, in Alaska, a five-year-old boy was asleep in his bedroom when a sudden bright blue light lit up his room. He looked around the room trying to locate the source of the suddenly appearing glow, more out of curiosity than fear. After several moments, he climbed out of his bed and walked calmly towards the middle of the light, turning his head up to where the apparent source of it came from. However, as soon as he was under it, he realised his body had frozen and he could no longer move. All he was able to do was stare upward at what appeared to be some kind of a drone, shaped like a half-moon. He would later estimate that he was kept in this state of paralysis for between 15 to 30 minutes before the light suddenly went out and the object disappeared. Moments later, the power of movement returned to him. One thing of interest about this case is that the witness went on to state in his report they would often experience very strange and intense dreams following the encounter. Dreams where he would be trapped in a mysterious light that wouldn't allow him to move. We might ask if these were merely dreams or if there were further incidents, he simply couldn't fully recall. Another intriguing UFO paralysis encounter also unfolded in Alaska around a decade and a half later in the summer of 1982, in Juneau at the Juneau Receiving Home. On the day in question, the anonymous witness was smoking a cigarette on the back porch of the building when they noticed a bizarre-looking black spherical object hovering around 300 feet from where he was standing. Almost as soon as he noticed the object, it began to head in his direction. As it moved, a low humming sound could be heard. Within moments, it was almost directly over the top of him. Then, a fan-shaped orange beam emerged from it, stretching to the ground. It immediately went into a sweeping motion, moving back and forth and from left to right repeatedly. Now, completely panicked, the witness began running toward his room. However, before he could reach it, the beam fell upon him, immediately freezing him to the spot. His next memories of waking up on his bed in his room. He didn't, though, have no memory of arriving there, 
or what had happened after the orange glow had hit him. Without a doubt, one of the most interesting and credible cases of paralysis during a UFO encounter occurred on a lonely road in Argentina at around 1am in the early hours of 27th of October 1973. On the night in question, long-distance truck driver Dionisio Lanca was making his way to Rio Gallegas when he realised he had to pull over and replace one of his rear tyres. He pulled the truck to the side of the road and stepped out in order to attempt to replace the tyre. He gathered his necessary tools and walked to the rear side of the truck. However, a few moments later, a sudden intense yellow light appeared ahead of him, approximately a distance of around a mile away. He at first thought the light was that of an approaching vehicle and returned his attention to the tyre. However, due to the increasing brightness of the light and the fact that it was beginning to turn blue, he turned to focus his attention on it once again. It was only when he attempted to stand that he realised he was completely paralysed. The next thing he realised, there was a form of plate suspended in the air overhead at an altitude of around 20 feet. Even more alarming, there were three humanoid figures standing behind him at his shoulder. Once more he tried to stand and turn but his limbs refused to respond. The humanoids remained stood, silently observing him for around five minutes. He suspected that two of them were male and one was female mainly due to her long blonde hair. Each was dressed in a tight-fitting single-piece grey coverall suit. Each also wore yellow boots and a pair of long gloves that reached right the way to the middle of their arm. They appeared to be completely human, aside from a slightly large forehead and elongated eyes. He would recall how the figures would speak to each other, although it sounded more like a radio badly tuned with chirps and buzzes, and it was most definitely a language that he couldn't understand. Then, one of them reached out, grabbing his shirt collar, and lifted him from the ground. Lanka attempted to call out, but his voice remained silent. Another of the humanoids stepped forward and inserted a device onto his hand. They held it there for several seconds before removing it. Lanka looked down at two small cuts on his finger. A moment later, he blacked out. It was around two hours later when he awoke. He found himself between two cars in the backyard somewhere in Bia Blanca. This was around six miles from where he had stopped to change his tyre and he had no memory at all of how he had gotten there. He got to his feet in an attempt to walk for help, however after taking a few steps he collapsed once more. He woke again a short time later and this time managed to make it onto the highway where a truck driver eventually spotted him. He was taken to a police station, where he was, in turn, taken to a local hospital. He was discovered to have no significant injuries, aside from a barely unnoticed abrasion on his left eyelid. He was, however, in a severe state of distress, and with an apparent fear of anyone touching him on the head. He would be transferred to another hospital, where he would spend several days. Bizarrely, on the morning of 30th of October, he awoke seemingly free of whatever had mentally gripped him. He was informed that his truck had been found where he had seemingly pulled it to the side of the road in order to change the tyre. Shortly after this, so convinced that something truly strange had happened, he agreed to be administered with pentothal, otherwise known as truth serum. The results would indeed be fascinating. Using pentothal and hypnotic regression, Lanka revealed some remarkable details. He would state, for example, that he went up with the two men by a beam of light. He found himself in a round room with one window and a floor that was like lead. 
around with several strange technological devices, including a radio that spoke to me in Spanish, he recalled, telling him not to be afraid. The next thing he knew, he was waking up in between the two cars. Perhaps one of the most interesting of these cases occurred in 1976 in the oral region of Russia, then the Soviet Union, when an 18-year-old known only as Vladimir S., while camping in the area with several friends, would experience a similar encounter to those we have already explored. All had already commented on the apparent distinct lack of wildlife in the area they were staying, and all had a strange feeling about the place that they couldn't quite explain. In the early hours one morning, somewhere between 3 and 4am, Vladimir noticed some activity outside of his tent. He went to investigate, and immediately saw a strange luminous craft rising from a nearby lake. He could feel a great heat on his face as the object rose upwards. It was then he noticed a strange humanoid inside the craft, its arms tight against its body as if anticipating takeoff. Before he could arrange his thoughts, a green beam of light would strike him straight in the face. He would describe it later as having a prolonged photo flash directly into his eyes. He could not see for several moments, but he recovered almost as soon as the craft had vanished. Several months later, in the early hours of 12th November 1976, at Talavera Real Air Force Base in Spain, two Spanish soldiers were on sentry duty when they suddenly noticed a high-pitched sound seemingly coming from above them. Before long, another soldier arrived, himself alerted by the strange noise. As they looked around them, they suddenly noticed a bright glowing object moving overhead. They decided to perform a brief search for the base to ensure nothing had breached its perimeters. As they were doing so, however, a suddenly appearing strong wind came out of nowhere, hitting them straight on. At the same time, they could hear and sense movement in a wooded area near the edge of the base. They had with them one of the military German shepherd dogs, which they sent towards where the sounds were coming from in an attempt to flush out whoever was there. However, moments later, the dog returned to them, and what's more, it appeared to be in a particularly confused state. The next thing they realised, a strange humanoid figure appeared out of the wooded area. It was dressed in a shiny suit and had some kind of helmet on its head. As they watched the figure, a green light suddenly headed in their direction. In response to this, one of the soldiers raised his rifle towards the figure. As soon as he began doing so, however, a flash of light appeared. The soldier was now unable to move, and of more concern to him, he was temporarily blinded. Several moments went by before another blinding flash of light came. When it disappeared, the being was nowhere to be seen, as if it had vanished into thin air. Although it would take several days, the soldier hit by the first flash of light regained both his sight and movement in his arms and legs. The following year, at around 6pm, on the evening of 29th of October 1977, Benedito Campos and his wife Silvia, who was heavily pregnant, were at their home in Brazil relaxing following another long, hard day at work. As they looked out of the window of their living room, they suddenly noticed a huge silver disc-shaped object moving across the sky. As they moved closer to the living room in order to see the object more clearly, they noticed a bizarre green beam of light shining down to the ground. Then, however, the beam suddenly headed in their direction. It pierced the window, without breaking it, and hit Sylvia. The moment it contacted her, she became instantly paralysed. And what's more, she also appeared to be in a strange trance as if frozen in time. The next thing they realised, two bizarre looking creatures had suddenly appeared in the living room. 
One of them pointed a curious-looking object at Sylvia, which projected another beam of light straight at her. As this was unfolding, one of their neighbours had been alerted by their cries of terror and burst through the door. He had with him a shotgun, and immediately began to fend the creatures off and out of the house. Following their departure, Sylvia was slowly able to move again. Once the creatures had disappeared, the neighbour ushered the traumatised pair to his home. Incidentally, later that evening, the same objects appeared once more, and once more directed the bizarre beam of light towards the pair, this time striking Benedetto. He too was temporarily paralysed until the object vanished, this time for good. Perhaps a good place to end our look at UFO encounters that involve paralysis is with the William Wallace case. On the evening of 8th of March 1967, William Wallace and his wife Joan were driving back to Leominster, Massachusetts after having driven out to the country to witness the scenery in the woodlands following a recent snowstorm. As they were passing St. Leo's Cemetery, a thick fog appeared, forcing him to slow his car somewhat. As he did so, according to his report, he witnessed a large bright light to the left of the vehicle. He asked his wife if she had seen it, but she said she hadn't. Wanting to get another look, he turned the car around and approached the cemetery again. This time, both he and his wife saw the strange glow, and Wallace brought the car to a stop. Wallace could now clearly see that the light was coming from a bizarre floating object that was shaped like a flattened egg. It was at this point that the car died completely, the lights going out and the radio falling silent. Wallace exited the vehicle to get a closer look, pointing toward the object in order to direct his wife's focus to it. However, no sooner had he done so than he realised that he was completely paralysed and couldn't move. He would recall in his report that his mind was not affected at all, it was simply his body that was frozen. His only movement came from some invisible force that seemed to force his pointed arm back, sending it crashing onto the roof of the car. He could hear his wife's panicked cries behind him, but he was unable to call back or turn around. From her point of view, Joan would later write in her report of the incident, her focus was on her husband as opposed to the glowing, hovering object. She would continue that she could hear a strange noise, but it was unlike anything she had heard before, and not a noise she could explain. The paralysis lasted for around 30 to 40 seconds in total. At the same time as Wallace began to sense slight movement in his body, the object was beginning to move away. He would recall that it moved quickly, but not instantly. As soon as the object had moved away, the car engine ticked over, the lights came back on, and the radio came back to life. Wallace would recall how his reactions were slow and sluggish to begin with, taking him around 20 minutes to return to feeling normal. That didn't stop him from jumping in the vehicle and making his way away from the area as quickly as possible, however, arriving back at around 1.30am. Joan would call her mother almost immediately. According to the information in the Project Blue Book files, her mother asked her to drive to her house due to how upset she sounded. She and William did just that. Local police were notified and Blue Book investigators would soon arrive to take a report. Furthermore, the statement of Joan's mother recalled the exact same version of events as Joan and William had told investigators. In the days that followed, once statements and details were examined more thoroughly, with NICAP conducting further interviews, more details would come to light. 
according to a NICAT report. The reports of fog on the night in question appear to have been localised to the cemetery area only, perhaps suggesting that its appearance was something to do with the apparent otherworldly vehicle, as opposed to any atmospheric or other weather conditions. It was also revealed that Atod, just immediately prior to becoming paralysed, William Wallace had sensed an electric shock. This is perhaps an interesting detail. In many of the other paralysis accounts we have examined, the witnesses have often spoken of a beam of light including such a condition. However, on this occasion, it appears that whatever was responsible for Wallace's sudden ability to move, it was invisible to the human eye. Of further interest is the detail that Joan had reached out from the car, even pulling on her husband's jacket at one stage. Despite this contact with him while he was paralysed, she didn't feel an electric shock, nor did she experience any paralysis herself. This perhaps suggests that whatever had caused William's paralysis, it was seemingly directed at him, and not something that could pass to another person, as electricity might, for example. The report also states that Wallace was known to the local police. Although it doesn't say for what reason, it appears it was for some minor misdemeanour. Of interest though, through this personal knowledge of the witness, the police would tell investigators it was their feeling that the Wallaces were being truthful in their report. In fact, it was suggested that because of this, William Wallace must have considered the incident important enough to put himself in front of the police voluntarily. The incident is an intriguing one, of that there is no doubt. However, while the police would seemingly verify in this instance William Wallace's credibility in reporting the account, the fact that only he and his wife are witnesses, as well as the fact that there was no physical evidence on the car or even on William, means the account is open to attack from sceptics. And when we figure in the idea of paralysis caused by an alien technology, the tale becomes even more open to dismissal. There is no doubt that cases of temporary paralysis and close contact UFO sightings are more prevalent throughout history than we might at first think, and while it is a detail that many suggest belongs in the realms of science fiction, it is one that UFO researchers and investigators can't ignore. What might the reasons for using such futuristic and highly advanced technology might these apparent alien visitors have? It doesn't appear to cause harm, with almost all people who find themselves in such bizarre circumstances making a full recovery. So, we are talking here about a technology that can render all the muscles in the body completely useless, while also allowing the heart and respiratory system to work completely fine. What's more, this appears to wear off immediately, as soon as the object vacates the area, as opposed to being a drug that will incapacitate for a set amount of time. Such technology, if that is indeed what causes this temporary paralysis, could in theory be used against humanity on a large scale, if these apparent alien visitors did prove to be hostile and one day launch an attack against us. We would have no chance to defend ourselves against a technology we ignore and so ultimately won't understand. The handful of accounts we have examined here are only a small number of those on record, and we might contemplate how many other incidents have occurred that have gone unreported and what of those that many people might simply dismiss as sleep paralysis and so don't examine their respective events any further. This could be happening regularly around the world right under our collective nose, and while many of the accounts, as we have discussed above, appear to be a defence mechanism to avoid confrontation, like anything else, the same technology can be used for more sinister purposes, if in the wrong hands. As always, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments below, and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases and theories we have been discussing here.
Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything you want us to discuss or examine, then please get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care. Thank <music> you.